passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Jordan. I'm one of uh, the pastors here at Crosswinds, and uh, this morning is our last Sunday in our sermon series, Broken Vessels. For the last 10 or so weeks, we've been looking at various characters in the Bible, looking at how God is at work in their lives, um, oftentimes in spite of uh, their messed up lives, and how God uses them for, for His glory, and then taking that, and then looking at how God can be at work in our lives today as well. And so this morning, as we are in our last Sunday in this sermon series, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. We'll be looking at the, the life story of Lydia. Lydia is another important uh, figure in the Bible, but maybe one that we're not uh, too aware of. But that being said, she, has, she holds a, a very special place of honor in the story of the Bible because she is the first known convert to Christianity on European soil. So there are a number of Europeans who became Christians before this. That's what we see in Acts chapter 2. But this is the first time that the Bible tells us of someone becoming a Christian in Europe, responding to the gospel in repentance and faith. And this is kind of a turning point in the book of Acts, because up to this point, we've seen the, the, the gospel spreading, the church spreading, the kingdom of God spreading in Judea and the surrounding areas. And now, for the rest of the book of Acts, we see a transition with the gospel spread, now focused in Europe, ultimately culminating in Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire and the capital of the known world in that day. Now, Lydia's story of conversion is not just a, a you know, cool fact of trivia. More important than that, it is a picture of how God is utterly committed to his people. God is utterly committed to his people. That's what we're going to see this morning. As we look at Acts chapter 16, we look at the life of Lydia, we're going to see two, two key aspects of her life. First, how God in her conversion is at work leading her to this moment where she places her faith, places her trust in Jesus. And then finally, we're going to see after her conversion, how God is at work, not just in her life, but in the church in Philippi as a whole. The heart of the story of Lydia is found in two verses, Acts chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. It says this, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Amen. Let's, let's pray as we jump into God's word. Father, we ask now that you would be at work among us. That just as thousands of years ago, you opened the heart of Lydia to pay attention to the gospel message. God, we ask that you would do that 
very thing this morning. We ask that you would enable us through your spirit to be a people who hear and believe and respond to the gospel. And that we would be a people who live lives of faithfulness. God, we ask that you would enable us to be a people who are just like Lydia, judged to be faithful to the Lord. We ask these things for Jesus' sake and for our good. Amen. All right, the story of Lydia's conversion starts with uh, really the, the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16. We pick up in the year 50 AD. Paul is setting out from Antioch on this missionary journey. Acts chapter 13 and 14 actually tell us about his first missionary journey. Paul, during this first missionary journey, plants churches in this area of Syria and in eastern modern-day Turkey. He plants a number of churches, and the first thing that he wants to do is he on this on the second journey is to return to those so we have a map let's go ahead and throw this map up here on the screen this shows us uh, or this will be a map we'll, we'll continue to reference so Paul starts off in the bottom right corner here in this town called Antioch and he goes from there to the yellow and the pink and the orange on the right side of this map that's kind of where he is ministering at the beginning he's planted these churches a year or two earlier now he returns according to Acts chapter 16, verse 5, to strengthen them in the faith. After that, his desire is to go from that area into the large pink section labeled Asia in the middle of the map. So that's his desire. He wants to go plant churches in Asia after this. Now, if you're following along again, Paul is currently located in the orange section there in the middle of modern day Turkey. His desire again to go to the pink section, Asia. But as we see, that God has different plans. Verse six, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now that's a surprising verse. We don't know exactly what this looked like. Later, Paul actually will end up in Asia. He will spend a couple years serving in Ephesus, planting a church there, a church that will eventually plant churches throughout the province of Asia. And yet, that's not God's plan for him right now. God has different plans for him. But God doesn't tell Paul what those plans are. God just says, hey, don't go to Asia. So Paul and his friends, they decide instead of heading west, we'll go ahead and head north. That's what we see in verse 7. And when they had come to Mysia... They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Let's go ahead and, and look at our map again. So they desired to go to the pink section, Asia. Uh, God says no, provides direction. So they say, okay, well, that's fine. We'll go ahead and head north. The desire from there is to go to this blue area at the top of the map, Bithynia. Again, God directs Paul and says, no, that's not what you're going to do. We're not going to go to Bithynia. I have a different plan for you. But again, God doesn't provide specific direction. And so Paul and his friends, they skirt along the northern part of that Asia province, and they end up on the, the coast of the Aegean Sea in this coastal city named Troas. Thankfully, God has, again, this moment where he guides Paul. Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. 
A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. All right, so let's put the map up one final time. All right, so Paul is located in Troas on the coast of the Aegean Sea. God has told him he can't go south into Asia. God has told him he can't go northeast into Bithynia. Paul's desire is to plant churches where there aren't any churches, and so that excludes the east into Phrygia and Galatia. And on the west is water. Thankfully, God reveals in a dream this man from Macedonia saying, come over to us. The, the orange section here on the map in the northwest corner, uh, the, the upper left corner, that's Macedonia. That's where Paul ends up. They traveled by boat to this uh, coastal city, Neapolis, and then from there they go on to Philippi, which is the leading city, uh, city of that area. And this was typical of Paul's missionary journeys, travel to the leading city, the main city of that area. From there, he would plant a church and send out missionaries into the surrounding area so the gospel would spread throughout a province. Now, you might be saying, what exactly does all of this have to do with Lydia? And I would say it has everything to do with Lydia. And here's why. Most of the time in the book of Acts, when we read about Paul's missionary journeys— his decision-making is so extraordinary because of how ordinary it is. Most of the time, Paul does not receive direct guidance, as far as we know, as we read the book of Acts, direct guidance from God on where he is supposed to go next. So in Acts chapter 13, 14, on his first missionary journey, the Holy Spirit sends Paul out from Antioch, but doesn't tell him where to go. And over the course of Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14, we see that Paul's decision-making on where to go, share the gospel in various communities, is directed more by persecution than it is by any other thing. And so Paul will leave one city and go to another city when he experiences persecution. Sometimes he stays in spite of that persecution. We look at Paul's third missionary journey. We see something very similar. Paul will go from location to location based off of persecution, driving him out of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. Or Paul will make a decision to leave or to end his missionary journey based off of a desire to return to Jerusalem. We again see that in Acts chapter 20. So Paul's decision-making is based more off of opportunity than it is anything else. Now, when we get to here, Acts chapter 16, and we see not just one, but three examples of God directly communicating to Paul of where he is to go on this missionary journey, we should pay attention. Because something special, something significant is happening here. God clearly has a plan for Paul, a purpose for Paul in Philippi, in Europe. 
He directs Paul's steps to Philippi, where he will soon encounter Lydia, and he will soon preach the gospel to Lydia, and she will soon respond with repentance and faith. In other words, the account of Acts chapter 16 leading to Philippi, leading us to Lydia, is so powerful because it shows us God's complete commitment to the people of Philippi so that they might hear the gospel. Not just a general commitment to the spread of the gospel, but a specific commitment to the spread of the gospel here in Philippi, in this city, with these people. God orchestrates the steps of Paul to get him to this place where Lydia will hear and will believe the gospel. And you know what? That's really good news for us today because it reminds us of God's unbelievable love for his people, not just after We hear the gospel, not just after we respond to the gospel, but even in the events that lead to us hearing and believing the gospel in the first place. See, this isn't something that's just true of Acts chapter 16. It's true of of us as well today. There is not a moment. There's not maybe three moments as there are here in Acts chapter 16 of direct guidance from God that led to you hearing the gospel and responding with repentance and faith. And yet God was no less involved in the events that led to you hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel with belief. It's no mistake that you are here this morning. God didn't make a mistake God knew exactly what he was doing when that person who shared the gospel with you was was placed in your life, who invited you to church, was placed in your life. He didn't make a mistake giving you the parents that he gave you who raised you up in the church and and drug you to church every single day, even though you didn't really want to go. God did that with a purpose and an intention because of his love for you. God knew exactly what he was doing when he exposed you to the gospel over and over and over and over, over the course of decades until you finally heard and believed and responded with repentance and faith. It's a sign of God's complete commitment to you, orchestrating the events of your life so that you might respond and believe in the gospel. Even before Lydia steps on the scene, we are reminded of God's complete, utter love for his people, including you, if you are found in him. Back to Acts chapter 16. At this point, Paul and his companions, they are in Philippi, and yet they run into a new problem, something they haven't encountered up to this point. To this point, whenever Paul and his companions enter into a new city, the first place they go to is a Jewish synagogue. They would go to a Jewish synagogue where they would have an opportunity to teach these people who loved the God of Israel about the long-awaited promised Messiah, Jesus. They would talk to Jews as well as Gentiles who were called God-fearers, these people who hadn't converted to Judaism, weren't committed to, to following all of the law, and yet were interested in the God of Israel. And they say, the one you're waiting for has come. 
But now he gets to Philippi. And here in Philippi, there isn't a synagogue. So what is he supposed to do? Verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, were suppo- where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So Paul and his companions, they have spent some time here in Philippi. They're trying to find a community of God-fearers, Gentiles who are interested in, sympathetic toward the God of Israel. And they begin asking around, hey, are you aware of this type of people? Is there a group of people who are interested in the God of Israel? And as they're asking around, eventually someone tells them, you know, there's a gathering of people that meets together on Saturday mornings out by the river outside of town for a time of prayer. And the next Saturday arrives and they head to the river and they find this group of women that are praying. And this is just speculation on my part. It's not in the text. So take this with a grain of salt. But I think this group of women is praying that God would make a way for them, these Gentiles who are outside the people of God, to be brought into the people of God. We see this in other places in Acts. Acts chapter 10, we are told that that Cornelius's prayers have been answered and God sends Peter as, a, as an answer to those prayers so he can hear the gospel. He can be brought into the family of God. It might be the exact same thing here, that these women are praying to the God of Israel that they might be accepted. And lo and behold, here comes Paul. And Paul and his companions, that's, that's the speculation part. Now we're coming back to the text. Paul and his companions, they arrive, they begin talking with this woman, they, these women, they tell them the good news of, of what Jesus has done. And we don't know how many respond, but we know at least one responds, and that is Lydia, verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's a very important verse, a very important verse, because it shows us that salvation is from the very beginning, a work of God. According to verse 14, why is it that Lydia responds to the gospel? Well, according to verse 14, it is because the Lord opened her heart to pay attention Again, we see God's commitment to Lydia here in this passage that God not only orchestrates the events leading to Paul getting to Philippi so she can hear the gospel, but he also is in this moment is opening her heart, enabling her that she might hear and respond to the gospel. This is a similar refrain we see throughout the book of Acts. Acts ultimately will, ref- will affirm our responsibility as humans to hear and to believe, to respond to the gospel. That's what we see in verse 30, just a couple verses later. We'll look at that here later this morning. And yet, it simultaneously affirms the reality that the sovereign God of the entire universe is the one who is at work so that people might believe this incredible message of the gospel. Take Acts chapter 2, for example. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
Acts chapter 2 tells us about this revival that breaks out in Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost. Thousands are coming to faith in the Lord. They're coming to faith in the gospel, what Jesus has done. And we see that the reason for that is not because Peter is an incredible preacher, but because the Lord is at work, adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. A similar and probably even more explicit example found in Acts chapter 13. Paul is on his first missionary journey. He's in this town that the gospel has not yet reached, and we read these words. And when the Gentiles heard this, that they are now accepted into the family of God, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Paul's preaching in Pisidian Antioch in Acts chapter 13 leads to a number of conversions, and it also leads to a lot of persecution. Persecution breaks out, rejection of, opposition to the gospel alongside repentance and faith. And the book of Acts tells us that we should not be respond, or we should not be surprised by these two responses to the gospel, because the response to the gospel is ultimately out of our hands. It is the Lord who has to be at work, who is at work in hearts, enabling them to respond with repentance and faith. And that's what we see here from Lydia. Lydia responds to the gospel because God was at work in her life. He opens her heart to pay attention to the gospel. You might say, well, what exactly does that mean for us today? I think there's a twofold response from this truth here in Acts chapter 16. The first is this reality. This should lead to worship. Should lead us to worship. When you realize that the only reason you responded to the gospel is because the Lord opened your heart to pay attention, to believe, shouldn't that just lead to wonder and awe, to amazement and humility? Why on earth would God set his sights on someone like me? Why should God see fit to have mercy on a person like me? I was a children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When we read phrases like the Lord opened her heart to pay attention, it leads us to worship because it makes us realize, you know, God did the exact same thing with me too. I grew up in a Christian home. Exposed to Christianity basically for my entire life. Going to church just about every single Sunday. And yet it wasn't until I was around 16 that I finally responded to the gospel with repentance and faith. And after that, first, after my conversion when I was 16, when people would ask me how I became a Christian, I would normally respond by saying, I grew up in a church that didn't preach the gospel. But once I finally heard the gospel when I was 16, I responded with repentance and faith. Now, do you hear the implication in that? If I would have grown up in a better church, then I would have been a Christian a long time ago. And yet, as I, over the course of the next several years, as I continued to just saturate, soak in the Bible, 
reading through the Bible year after year after year. I stopped saying that. I don't remember when exactly I stopped saying it, but I stopped saying it at some point. And now I say, really, I don't know if the church I grew up in preached the gospel or not, and that's irrelevant. What I understand now is that I did not have ears to hear until I was 16. Or to use language from Acts chapter 16, I didn't have a heart that was opened to pay attention to the gospel until I was 16. You know, the implication from that statement is pretty clear too. This is not something I could have worked out on my own. This is not something that comes from my own strength, but it was instead a gift of God. That's why I say this should lead us to worship. You know, when I look back at my life before that defining moment, when I look back at who I once was and what I wanted with life, I cannot stress enough how perfectly content I was with the direction of my life. Zero interest in the things of God, and I was completely okay with that. Zero interest in God. I was perfectly content with who I once was. And then I think about who I am now and, and the way my affections have changed from here to here. And that's not something that I conjured up on my own. It's only a gift of God to open my heart, to pay attention to the gospel, to change my affections, my desires from here to the things of God. It should lead us to worship. But it doesn't just lead to worship. It also leads to perseverance in prayer and evangelism. I'm convinced that, that this perspective on the gospel allowed Paul to persevere when he experienced suffering and persecution and abandonment that happened a lot throughout his ministry. Why? Because Paul knew that the response of people to the gospel was ultimately out of his hands. There was no technique that he could adopt. There was no formula that he could use or, or discover in order to produce faith in the lives of those he shared the gospel with. He knew that if anyone was going to believe in the gospel, it had to take a literal act of God. And so he prayed and he prayed and he prayed, and he did not get discouraged when he was met with unbelief from the people that he shared the gospel with, but he continued to pray, and he continued to proclaim the gospel. And many times, he encountered persecution and suffering and hardship and ridicule, and other times, he encountered people like Lydia, people in whom God was at work, opening their hearts to pay attention to the gospel. And the same thing is true for us especially with our loved ones who are not walking with the Lord. You don't know what God's plan is for them. My parents, I'm sure they would have loved if I would have started following Jesus when I was two, not 16. 14 years, prayer, perseverance, steadfastness. Keep praying. 
Keep turning people's eyes to Jesus because who knows when God might see fit to open their heart to pay attention to the gospel this time. It should lead us to worship and it should lead us to perseverance. Back to Acts chapter 16. Lydia has received the gospel. She's heard the gospel. She, she responds to the gospel, immediately putting her faith to work in verse 15. After she, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Lydia gets baptized probably in the river that she's standing right next to. Part of her family believes as well. They get baptized as well. And the moment she gets baptized, the first thing that she does is she realizes. She realizes that this isn't just a, a, a response of belief, but also a life of sacrificial service. And so she's, the first thing she says is she opens her house to Paul and to these missionaries. Asking, if I've been judged faithful by the Lord, then, then please use my house as a base of operations for the spread of the gospel here in Philippi. Because I know there are a number of people here who need to hear this message. Do you see what God's doing with Lydia? This beautiful picture of Lydia. It's the power of, of the gospel. It's the power of Jesus at work in lives. Consider this, Lydia woke up that Saturday morning religious but dead in her sins. And by the time her head hit the pillow that night, she was a child of God. This is the start of the church in Philippi. Lydia's conversion reminds us of God's unshakable commitment to draw people to himself. God has this unshakable commitment to draw people into his family. He is at work and bringing those who are far off into his family. If you're in Christ Jesus, the only reason that is, that is true of you is because it's not because of any strength on your own, any ability that you've mustered up within you, but because God saw fit to open your heart. And Jesus isn't done. He's not done in you, and he's not done in the lives of those who are around you as well. He will continue to draw people to himself. And that's what we actually see in the rest of the book, or the rest of, well, it's true, the rest of the book of Acts, but specifically in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 tells us about the start of the Philippian church, and, and let me tell you what. The stories of Acts chapter 16 are the first group of Christians, first group of people who believe in the gospel could not be more radically different. Acts chapter 16, we're told that Lydia is from Thyatira. She is a seller of purple goods. That's not just throw, throw away information. It tells us a lot about who she is. Thyatira was a wealthy city. And the reason why it was so wealthy is because it was one of the few places in the Roman world where there was this plant that you could use to dye clothes purple. And because it was relatively rare, that meant it was also relatively popular. That's the way things work, isn't it? And because it was relatively rare and relatively popular, that also meant it was relatively expensive. And so when we're told that Lydia is a businesswoman from Thyatira now living in Philippi, that means she has moved to Philippi in order to sell this rare good. And she is almost certainly a wealthy 
businesswoman. But the other people in the church in Philippi aren't like her. That's what Paul makes very clear in the next story. Verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. I love that, by the way. Holy annoyance here. Normally my annoyance isn't holy. Paul, I shouldn't go into that. (laughs) Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So here's Paul. He's continuing to minister here in Philippi. And now he delivers this little girl from the bondage of the enemy because of the power of the gospel. And it's not explicit in this passage, but, but I think that it's very safe to assume this woman, this little girl, becomes a, a Christian as well. Acts chapter 16 tells us the story of Lydia becoming a Christian. It ends with this story of a Philippian jailer becoming a Christian. It's safe to assume in the middle, it's a story of a little girl becoming a Christian as she's rescued from bondage. And this is, this is an ironic story. This girl is known to tell the future and appear, it appears she is following Paul around as he's sharing the gospel And she's legitimizing the message of Paul and Silas. And the pragmatist in us says, well, you know, maybe the ends justify the means. And what Satan intended for good, God is using, or excuse me, what Satan intended for evil, God is using for good. Such thinking is completely foreign to Paul. It's completely foreign to Paul because Paul knows Jesus does not need Satan and his help to build his church. Paul knows that the Lord who can open hearts to understand and pay attention to the gospel, the Lord who directs Paul's steps to Philippi, doesn't need the help of an evil spirit to legitimize the message of the gospel. And the Lord hates to see his image bearers like this little girl enslaved to evil and torment to the enemy. And so Paul proclaims freedom in the gospel. And this little girl is delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. And do you see what's happening in Philippi? God is building his church, and it is made up of drastically different people. Lydia, the wealthy businesswoman, and now a slave girl rescued from demon possession. Jesus is building his church. Now, as you can imagine, the owners of this little girl were not very thrilled at what had just taken place. They made quite a profit off of this little girl's suffering. And so they raise a commotion. Whole town gets involved and Paul and Silas are beaten and then thrown into jail. Verse 23. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them and they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now we're introduced to the jailer who locks Paul and Silas up in these painful stocks for the night. 
And about midnight, Paul and Silas, they're praying, they're singing praises to God when an earthquake hits the jail. And the doors are opened and everyone has the chance to flee. And the jailer just is assuming that that's exactly what happens. And so he pulls his sword out in order to kill himself because he'd rather die at his own hands than suffer the embarrassment and and potentially the torture of, of having to face his bosses. But before he can do that, what does Paul say? Verse 28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. This is a powerful story. Beautiful story because God uses the witness of Paul, the witness of silence, uh, Silas, the, the joy in their suffering, their perseverance in suffering to legitimize the message of the gospel, to grab a hold of this Philippian jailer, to bring to life this one who is dead in his sins. And not only him, but his entire household, his entire family, hears of God's mercy throughout the ages on this person who was their dad, their husband, their grandfather. This man, that God has, has used these men that they just beat days earlier. And what happens? And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. John Chrysostom, the pastor from the 300s, widely known as one of the best preachers in church history. And I love the way he describes this scene. The man washed away their wounds and the Lord washed away his sins. Just like with Lydia, God intervenes into this man's life and delivers him from his spiritual deadness. And just like with the slave girl, God brings him out of his bondage. And just like with Lydia, he is baptized and he shows them hospitality. And Jesus is continuing to build his church here in Philippi. You see the message of Acts chapter 16 here? Jesus is building his church in a way that makes it abundantly clear. He is responsible for its growth and no one else. If you were to look at a church growth strategy, how are you going to build a church? Build a church with people like you. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus grabs different people from very different walks of life so that he can build his church and more importantly, so he can receive glory. That's what we see here in Acts chapter 15, 16. Jesus is glorified in the church's unity in spite of their differences. 
in spite of all the things that are different from them, the fact that they are united in the gospel brings Jesus so much glory. That's why Paul places such an emphasis on unity in the church as as the heart of service in, in Philippians, his letter to this church a decade later. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Jesus is in the business of building his church with people from radically different places and radically different backgrounds. And when Jesus begins to do that, he is glorified. When the church is known for standing firm in one spirit, when the church is known to be of one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, when the world says, you know, you should have nothing to do with one another, you have nothing in common, then Jesus receives much glory. Jesus receives glory. When when something that the world says shouldn't work, not only works, but flourishes. And that's his intention for the church. One of my favorite passages in the entire Bible is in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is writing to the church and says that actually this unity, in spite of our differences, is not only a part of God's plan, but it's also a declaration of how wise God is to the evil forces in the heavenly places. Writing about how God uses both Jews and Gentiles, bringing them into one family, Paul writes this. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the mystery hidden for ages in God, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, what Paul is saying there is that Jesus receives much glory when you get together on Sunday mornings with people who are not at all like you in order to worship the same God. When we gather together with people who have different preferences, who have different opinions, uh, who are just from different places of life, when we gather together and say, we are united together around the gospel for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of Jesus, when he do that, Jesus is well-pleased, and we are a billboard to the evil spirits that God knows what he's doing, that God is wise that God's plan of salvation no one else can fathom, and that God is good. Lydia's story is a picture of how utterly committed God is to his glory, but also to his people. He orchestrates Paul's movements, moving him toward Philippi where He can eventually share the gospel with this person that he opens the heart to pay attention to this message. She can respond with repentance and faith. But God doesn't just do that in Lydia's life. He also does that with this little slave girl, with this Philippian jailer, and who knows how many others from radically different places. All for the glory of Jesus. And we have the exact same opportunity today as well.
What if we, like Lydia, were committed to sacrificially loving people who are different than us? What if we followed the example of the Philippian church in looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interest of others? What if we are a congregation of people, of broken vessels, joined together in spite of all of our differences for the glory of God? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your glory, your goodness. We thank you how you have sent your Holy Spirit to enable us to respond to and pay attention to the gospel. God, we ask that you would continue to do that now. I'm sure each of us has one, two, a number of people that come to mind when we are thinking about, man, I just wish that they would would pay attention to the gospel. Jesus, we ask that you would open their hearts to pay attention that you would provide us with opportunities to point them to you. Give us courage and boldness so that you can continue to, to strengthen and build your church for your glory. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.